Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You're done with your Oreo? Yeah, <laughs> done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, do we really know what happened? The brother did. The brother, that's what I thought too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a murdery thingy thingy Okay. Um, I want to go first. Okay. That sounds good. <laughs> Sorry, that's just how I wanted to begin this that's cool. humble Wednesday night. I ascend. Uh, uh, this is Mystery Murdery Thingy. Yes, welcome to Mystery Murdery Thingy. My name is Chloe. My name is Mario. And We're on a Wednesday evening. Yeah, and thanks for uh, coming to chill with us. We're going to yeah. talk about some mysteries. Some different kinds of mysteries. Some murderies. What kind of mysteries? Some uh, And what kind of mystery is your mystery? Mine is a uh, medical murdery mystery. Yeah. It sort of touches on everything. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, you were kind of telling me about it in the car earlier, so. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. What are you doing? What episode is this? I don't even remember. It's is like it 87, like, I think. Anyway. I think. So, to start off episode 87. How exciting. I'm going to talk about sleepwalking. Ooh. Ooh. Ah. <laughs> um, no, it's and, cool. It's one I hadn't thought yeah. about too much. Well, Reddit gave me the idea. I just get my ideas from Reddit and sure, then I sure. like go from there. Um, but yeah, there was a great post about sleepwalking and I was like, I definitely want to look more into this. And I know we talked about sleep before yes. um, in a previous episode. Well, you did a two-parter on it. There was a two-parter on sleep. It's definitely something that um, you can really, really get into. I think we tu- we j- only touched... The- it was it was a two-parter, but we only really touched the surface. We didn't go that deep into right. sleep. Right. No pun intended. Um, but <laughs> let's go ahead and start off with Jared Allgood's story. <clears throat> so, Jared Allgood was a normal kid. He was a very skilled football player living in Iowa City, Iowa. And uh, Jared had a history of, of sleepwalking, right? Um, he'd been sleepwalking since he was, like, six. Like, mm. since he was really young, like a little kid. Um, and so when his mom would go take him to see doctors and say, is this something I should be worrying about, especially if he's got older, it was always dismissed. It was always something, oh, he'll grow out of it. Uh, and then he, when he got to college, it just continued. And it got a little bit worse. So, 
things came to a head on February 9th of 1993 when Jared uh, gets up, wakes up. Well, he gets out of bed in the middle of the night and he takes off running from his apartment, just speeding uh, like he's like he's um, running from something. He ran for over a mile and note that it was February, so it was cold and the streets were icy. And, you know, here's this guy in the middle of the night running, running down the street when he gets hit by a truck and he's <gasps> killed immediately. Oh, no. Yeah, it's fucked up. It's yeah, tragic. No. Um, so initially, you know, police saw this as death and they said it was a suicide, right? Mm-hmm. But none of the family members believed it, especially his mother. His mom was the one who suspected sleepwalking because, you know, she she already knew about it. It was something he grew up with. She even talked to one of... Um, Jared's roommates and learned that Jared had been talking about having a recurring nightmare when he's where he's running. And so here's a quote from from his mom, quote, Jared said, it's a crazy dream. I'm running a race with a man from Bertram. Only the man is in a is in a car and I'm on foot running a race as hard as I can run. End quote. Oh, my God. Yeah. In the end. um, And after looking at the really, they started to look at the science and Okay, how, how, what can we figure out about sleepwalking? Uh, Jared, Go- Jared Allgood's cause of death officially became sleepwalking, and um, and he was the first person to be declared wow cause of death of sleepwalking. Hmm. Yes, but I also want to talk about Kenneth Parks. This is this is a straight up murder. So Kenneth Parks, twenty three years old. Uh, living in Pickering, Ontario with his wife and five-month-old child. Kenneth eventually, so they live a pretty normal life over here in Ontario, and eventually Kenneth develops a serious gambling problem. And soon he ran into huge financial problems as well. Uh, He had to start taking from the savings account. Once the savings account was empty, he started embezzling money from work. Oh, shit. Uh, It got really bad. He was caught in March of 1987, and then he was fired from his job. Um, Wednesday, May 20th, 1987, was when he attended his first Gamblers Anonymous meeting. Uh, At this point... He actually had plans for Sunday, May 24th, to tell his his mother-in-law about the issues he was having. He was going to come clean um, and how he had attended a, gam- a Gambler's Anonymous group in an effort to improve himself, right? In, however, in the early morning hours of May 24th, Kenneth Parks got into his car, drove about 12 miles to his in-law's house in Scarborough, Ontario, uh, he used the key his mother-in-law had given him uh, to unlock the door of her house. He walked into the bedroom where they were sleeping and bludgeoned his 42-year-old mother-in-law, Barbara Ann Woods, to death uh, with a tire iron. Oh, my God. Yeah. He then turned to the father and he tried to strangle him, but um, the father manages to survive. Uh, because in reality, it's exceedingly hard to strangle someone to death. 
Yes, that's true. Uh, that's true. Kenneth um, gets back in the car, covered in blood, and drives to the nearest police station and says, I think I've just killed two people. He went to trial um, with the Supreme Court of Canada in 1992 with his only defense, which was sleepwalking, and that he was completely unaware of what he was doing. So this pop, this trial was popular, right? Yeah, I, I, I was. I think I may have you, heard about have you this heard about before. It? Yeah, I th- maybe it's ringing some bells. Yeah, yeah. Because um, when you said sleepwalking defense, I kind of remembered that being a thing. So, right. Yeah. Um, even sleep specialists were like, "No, no, this can't be a thing." But there was literally no motive at all for him to kill his in-laws. He was really close to them. Everybody got along. Barbara Ann even referred to him as her gentle giant. They were all, like, you know, family. His story was consistent. Uh, he He was interviewed seven times, and each time his story was consistent, even when police were trying to, like lead him astray it was it was always consistent he they did an eeg an eeg test which is one of those like brain wave brain activity um tests where they mm-hmm. put electrodes on your scalp and stuff right. like that and then um the results were really weird they were irregular even for a parasomniac which we'll talk about parasomnia in a little bit um so the jury acquitted him and the Supreme Court of Canada upheld the decision. So, so yeah, he was totally acquitted, wow. walked free, free. Uh, some doctors say he should have been found not guilty by, by reason of insanity instead. Hmm. But um, that kind of stirs the debate, right? Yeah. About what sleepwalking really is. But not everyone got off scot-free. So the sleepwalking defense has been used before other stories of homicidal sleepwalking include um i'm including two stories uh scott falater and antonio nieto so on the night of january 16th 1997 scott falater phoenix arizona murdered his wife yarmila by stabbing her 44 times Eyewitnesses say that he had been that he was also seen holding his wife's head underwater as well and so he went to court in june of 1999 and he was tried for first degree murder and his defense was sleepwalking again he had no idea what he was doing totally unaware but the prosecution claimed um that after the murder was committed he actually like went and changed his clothes he put the murder weapon in a tupperware container and then he put that container in a trash bag uh, he threw that out, and then he threw away his boots and his socks, and then he stashed um, his garbage in the spare tire well in the trunk of his car. Hmm. Not typical sleepwalking behavior. Prosecutors testified that his actions were too complex. Yeah, mm-hmm. quote, too complex to have been carried out while he was sleepwalking. He was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the pop- possibility of parole. And then 58-year-old Antonio Nieto from Malaga, Spain, um, he attacked his entire family. He took an axe and hammer to his wife and mother-in-law, killing them. And this was on this was January 11th of 2001. His daughter suffered a jaw fracture but was left alone after feigning death. Smart. 
his his son was cut on the ear but he eventually like disarmed him um like scott uh, Fallader, Nieto claimed to have been asleep during the attack, and he said he was dreaming and, quote, defending himself against aggressive ostriches. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. The children said otherwise. They said that, um, I think the son said that their father had recognized him and even said to them, like, keep the lights off because your mom's sleeping and stuff like that. Uh, And he was sentenced to 10 years of internment in a psychiatric hospital. So, yeah, I definitely wanted to get into the murdery side of it because it's it's an interesting debate. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's 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 a couple more, but I'm not going to get into it. But I do want to get into the the science behind it and how Mm -hmm. it's it is quite mysterious because we literally have no idea why it happens. Mm. So, we'll go over the facts. It's also called somnambulism. And about 30% of people sleepwalk at some point in uh, within their childhood. But it's pretty rare for adults to sleepwalk. And then, um, quote, a 2012 Stanford University School of Medicine study found that roughly 3.6% of American adults reported having sleepwalk in the previous year, and only 1% said that they had sleepwalked twice or more in a month, end quote. So it's pre- it is pretty rare, and it's considered a disorder uh, at that point. Mm. Uh, if adults who are sleepwalking twice or more in a month need to be treated. Mm-hmm. So it's it's possibly, it's dangerous, obviously. Right. So it all starts with the brain, right? Because, I mean, that's where sleep originates. That's what is most focused on in, in sleep studies and what your brain is doing while, while, while sleeping. Um, and, you know, the brain itself is a whole mystery that we don't have to get into. Um, that's a mystery for another day. Oh, God. It's one of the big ones looming out there in the future. Oh, yeah. So, sleepwalking takes place during NREM sleep, which is non-rapid eye movement, which is the deepest form of dreamless sleep. So, it's deep sleep. Um, It usually occurs in the first third of the night when NREM is the most prominent. Non-REM parasomnia is um un- is defined as unusual behaviors during deep sleep. So like sleepwalking is is um uh, parasomnia uh night terrors, uh sleep eating. I've done that before. Really? Yeah, I definitely I didn't used know to that. be a sleep eater when I was younger, <laughs> for sure. I've never heard of them before. Lots of midnight snacks. Yes. Oh, wow. Um it's embarrassing, it's inconvenient, it's stressful. It's not fun waking up in candy wrappers and wondering why right <laughs> yeah um and those who suffer don't remember the ordeal that's mm-hmm. the whole thing mm-hmm. sleepwalkers appear to be awake like you don't walk around like sometimes in movies it's like you're walking and you're like a zombie and your eyes are closed it's not how it works you look like you're awake your hmm. eyes are open you can see what you're doing um but again, they're not. You're not like awake, but you're not really asleep either. It's actually, I actually found this super fascinating that different parts of the brain during sleepwalking are in different states. So, like, 
I listened to um, BBC Radio did a series on the mysteries of sleep, and the first one was sleepwalking, and uh, they talked about how, you know, like, sleep is usually defined as, like, something that's binary, like, either you're awake or you're not, but sleepwalking proves that that's not the case. Um, sleepwalking occupies the gray zone between being awake and being asleep, so some animals actually sleep well, sleep well. Whales, dolphins, and seals can swim while half of their brain is asleep. That's kind of what I was thinking. It's like, yeah. don't some animals like swim while they're sleeping? Yeah. You know? Birds can fly while they're sleeping as well. Do they dream about flying? <laughs> Sorry, that was meant to sound poetic. <laughs> that just reminded me of um, flying in the good place. Oh, right, right, right. Which no one spoiled for Mario. <laughs> it was like, it's like 500 orgasms at yeah. once, but better. Yeah. She's like, oh, great. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so studies show that areas of the brain are showing signs of being awake while others are still in deep sleep. So the parts of the brain that control rational thinking and memory are like, quote, asleep or... right. In the Not functioning in the normal way. Exactly. In the 19th century, when sleepwalking was just being studied, um, it was thought to be a dreamer just acting out their dream. The German chemist and parapsychologist Baron Karl Ludwig von Reichenbach, he made extensive studies of sleepwalkers, and he actually uh, studied like hundreds of sleepwalkers and he had this weird theory called the Odic Force, which is named after the god of Odin. And basically, he formulated this theory and added sleepwalking to it. Um, and this has been declared a pseudoscience, but basically it was this theory that humans live off of this vital energy source that is a combination of, quote, electricity, magnetism, and heat, and emanates from many things on our planet, including humans, plants, and magnets, end quote. <laughs> cool. You're like, okay. Yeah. Um, Sophia Erickson. People used to think a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. But yeah, even even then, people were like, this is quackery. Like, <laughs> right. That's how you know. Uh, like, even in ancient times, there must have been shit like that. It's 1830, and they're like, the hell is this? <laughs> you know, there, there were people in like 1000 BC who were like, the earth's not flat, you idiot. Yeah. Like, Look, like, you can see it's happening. Like, look at shadows. Think about it. Like, come on. <laughs> um, so an, an actual expert, uh, Sophia Erickson, she's a neurologist working at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery in London. She, she states that different systems of the brain respond at different times. So the occipital lobe wakes up. So you can now you now you can see things and you can move and then maybe your limbic system responds. So then um, you can move in and react to things while the frontal lobe that controls rational thinking, however, is still asleep. So you can act really. That's why you can act really weird because you think you see something that's not there, but you don't have the rational part of your brain saying, "Oh, like, oh, it's just like a coat hanging in the closet." Right. Which is a, a normal part of dreaming that you talked about in the two right. episodes. Yeah. A study conducted in Montpellier, France, was published in 2015. And this examined how 
pain coincided with sleepwalking. So basically they gathered a hundred people who were sleepwalkers and studied their sleeping characteristics and pain characteristics. So they they had two hundred people. They had a hundred control and then a hundred people who um were sleepwalkers. 47 of the 100 said that they had been injured while sleepwalking before, and of those 47, 78.7% of people, about 37, said that they had not experienced any pain during the episode, but only after when they were fully awake. Hmm. The study was looking to see whether or not these injuries had woken the person up from sleep, or if they had continued to just, you know, like, walk, like... um, and in some cases, that that was that was the case where they like fell out of like a window three stories up and then like woke up like paramedics and stuff. Oh yeah. My God. They also found that sleepwalkers reported excessive daytime sleepiness. They had um, symptoms of insomnia, depression. They found that these sleepwalkers uh, with chronic pain, migraines, and headaches. And um, when they were awake, they were more likely to not feel pain while sleep. So when they had, so if they were suffering from, you know, chronic pain, migraines, and headaches, then they were more likely to not feel pain when they were sleepwalking. Hmm. However, there's really no scientific explanation for the increase in the symptoms of headaches and migraines for those who suffer from. Could just be a coincidence. Yeah, we don't, we don't know. Yeah. Sleepwalking does have triggers. It does run in families. It could be genetic. Uh, there was even a theory. There's even a theory about sleepwalking, like gene or rather chemical messenger, as the article from Scientific American states. It's called gamma aminobutyric butyric and <laughs> gamma aminobutyric acid GABA. During normal sleep, GABA stifles the activity of the brain's motor system. Um, However, quote, in children, the neurons that release this neurotransmitter are still developing and have not yet fully established a network of connections to keep motor activity under control. As a result, many kids have insufficient amounts of GABA, leaving their motor neurons capable of commanding the body to move even during sleep. In some, this inhibitory system may remain underdeveloped or be rendered less effective by environmental factors, and sleepwalking can persist into adulthood, end quote. Oh, okay. Yeah, when I read that, I was like, oh. That's what, that's what you were talking about Remember when you said that? that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but that makes sense, because it gives you a mechanism. Right. You know, like, this is how it actually works on a chemical level. Right. Uh, sleep deprivation can trigger sleepwalking, uh, stress, alcoholism, alcoholism, a gambling problem, perhaps. Mm. Uh, sleep apnea can trigger sleepwalking. Certain medications, in rare cases, subjects have found have been found to have um, like a seizure dis- disorder. Mm. But as for again, as for why the brain tells our muscles to move during times of deep sleep, we don't know. We don't know. We can see. We can like observe it happening and and think of maybe. You know, in these, here are all these similar cases with these similar things, but nothing ever gives us a concrete as to to why. Yeah. Um, it's also, it's hard to study because doing a sleep study, right, involves going to a hospital lab at night 
and you're, you know, you got to get ready to go to sleep, but you're in this unfamiliar environment anyway, right? And then they, like, connect you to wires and stuff. And you're in a hospital bed. And then so if you sleepwalk, you'll like rip all the wires out and stuff. And then you might not even sleepwalk in the first place because you're not like, yeah, gonna fall asleep. Right. So difficult to study. That is sleepwalking. Needs to be a new paradigm of sleepwalking. Yes. Yeah. It's still I didn't realize it was so mysterious. Me neither. Or so tragic. My God. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of death and destruction surrounding sleep. Well, my mom would always talk about how, like, um, uh, when we would visit, um, I think it was my dad's parents owned a beach house, or not a beach house, like a lake house by Wisconsin, and we would go there. My mom would be always like, yeah, I was always terrified that you kids would sleepwalk and walk into the lake and drown, and that would be it. Right. Yeah. I was like, oh. And some people think that Asha Degree was sleepwalking. Who's that? Asha Degree was a little girl. How old was she? Like four, five, six, who grabbed her backpack and walked out of the house in the middle of the night and was never seen again. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I think I have maybe heard of that case. Um, Do you want to do your sources? Yes. Sources. Wikipedia page sleepwalking and homicidal sleepwalking. The Mystery of Sleepwalking by Reagan Reed, an article by The Globe and Mail. BBC, B- BBC Radio Series 1, Mystery of Sleep, Sleepwalking. Season 9, Episode 4 of Unsolved Mysteries. The study by, uh, yes, yeah, so this was the study um, where they gathered, you know, the, the 100 sleepwalkers. Um, uh, it was by Regis Lopez, Isabel Jocent, and Yves Davillers. French. I can't do French at all. <laughs> Sorry, France. <laughs> and it was titled Pain and Sleepwalking, a Clinical Enigma. And it was published in a uh, sleep journal. Neuronation uh, was a website that did like a pretty solid summary of the very extensive study. Uh, and Scientific America does this thing called Ask the Brains. And one of the answers to why do some people sleepwalk, um, I got a lot of sources from, it got a lot of stuff from there. And it's explained by neurologist Antonio Oliviero and a Vice UK article by Jack Hutchcraft. Cool. Boom. Done. Okay, now I can go. Yay. Um, so I am doing this week another science mystery um, about the possibility of life elsewhere in the solar system. That's right. There might be actual living organisms existing right now. Duh. On multiple planets, quote-unquote, right? Because I'm going to talk about a moon. Also, water is wet. That's true. (laughs) And I'm going to talk about what what else you need other than water. There's three key ingredients for life that that keep coming up. And uh, I'm going to talk about Europa. So uh, the moon Europa, which is the uh, one of the four so-called Galilean moons of Jupiter. These were, you know, big enough to see by Galileo, essentially, in his uh, early uh, telescope back in the, you know, early 17th century. So anyway. Um, anyway. Well, anyway. So, <laughs> uh, where was I? Oh, uh, Jupiter also has 79 known moons. Just by the way, that seems excessive, but. I guess when you're the biggest planet in the solar system, you're like, I mean, I guess. Gotta have a shit ton of moons. Um, and we keep finding more. There's like definitely more. So, um, 
but uh, Europa is like just a little bit smaller than Earth's moon. It's like ninety percent, essentially the size of of Earth's moon. But I was telling you this earlier. It's like a lot uh, brighter. It's like five and a yeah. half times brighter because it's essentially like a, Europa's essentially like a ball of ice. Oh. Um, is is really what it what it is. And it's it's a really, really interesting place to look for habitable worlds within the solar system, um, other than Earth. Um, now, I don't know, as a side note, if you heard about this, but yeah. there could also be life living right now on Earth's moon, because a thousand tardigrades oh yeah we talked about that last time didn't we? oh yeah i think we did Just maybe mention it right 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 we're we're yeah smashed into the surface of, of earth's moon by this errant israeli spacecraft and you know tardigrades they will live fucking anywhere so who knows what happened to keeping space pure yeah, that uh, that ship sailed. I think <laughs> in, in in like the forties when we sent our first thing up there. It's inevitable. People There's so will so much junk everywhere. I know, I know, and it, it's going to continue. Um, a new mission, a new piece of junk, you might say, uh, a very expensive piece of junk, uh, known as the Europa Clipper, um, is planned to dis- depart for Europa between uh, twenty twenty three and twenty twenty five. But it is funded. Like it, it was on the the fence for a long time. Uh, it was on the 2010 decadal survey for NASA when they said, like, okay, this is a priority, like, we'd like to do this. But in the most recent uh, prioritization, it, it has a real byline. So it's like a, a congressional appropriation. The money is there. It's going to happen. Nice. We don't know what rocket ship it's going to go I on yet. I didn't know that that's how NASA worked. That, and it's it's complicated. If you want to learn more about that, listen to the Planetary Society podcast. They actually do special episodes just about space policy. And those are even a little nerdy for me sometimes. So <laughs> if you really want to dig into space policy, that's, that's a good place space to go. Space policy is never a term I would have ever conceived of and by it's, myself. <laughs> it's so much more complex than you, you know, think about at the beginning, right? But but Europa Clipper, it, it it's been planned since the late 90s it's gonna happen um and it's gonna be leaving in a few years and that, that's kind of the the press around that is kind of what brought this back to my attention because europe has always been you know it's a fascinating place it's in 2023 in like 10 years 2023 that's in yeah. four years what <laughs> <laughs> i'm not good at math but um and depending on which rocket it does end up taking um, it'll take about three to six years to get to Europa. Um, there's this this new rocket. If they get to use that, it'll be a lot quicker of a trip. Ooh, upgrade. So, uh, all right. Um, get to use our own rockets to go to places, not have to pay the Russians $700 million. Oh, is that how that works? That is how that currently works. Yeah, that's why America's aggressively trying to develop its own large-scale rocket uh, capabilities. Oh. With the uh, the SLS uh, is the the big one, uh, the Space Launch System. Um, so anyway, the uh, is NASA run by the Russians? I'm sorry. Let's, <laughs> let's keep going. Roscosmos is run by the Russians. <laughs> NASA is run by the U.S. ESA is run by the Europeans. JAXA okay, is run okay. by the Japanese. You get the idea. So you, you didn't know there were so many. You know. Um, to, to really get off on a tangent, uh, Mexico might have something on the moon soon with I that, that with that uh, um, private company that was on that recent Planetary Society podcast. Okay. Okay. So anyway, they might be the fourth ones. Um, so 
just for a sense of scale, the Europa Clipper, like the the spacecraft that's going to go, it's about the size of a van. Um, and it, you know, it looks like basically like a box with like big um, uh, <laughs> antennae coming out of it. And it's going to make about 45 flybys of uh, Europa. But it's actually going to orbit Jupiter because um, the if you orbited Europa, first of all, it's really expensive in terms of uh, fuel to get it there because you have to get away from Jupiter and into the orbit of Europa. Okay. But also that area is super, super radioactive. Because of Jupiter. Jupiter's like, it's like almost a sun, right? I didn't it's, know that. it's a gas giant. It's so huge that it's giving off like tons and tons and tons of radiation. Oh. All, if you, if a human stood on the surface of Europa, that human would be dead in a day. Obviously, they'd be Whoa. dead a lot sooner because you can't breathe and shit. But from the radiation, <laughs> I'm saying, even if they had a suit and everything. Wow. Um, That's some Doctor Who shit. <laughs> I know, right? I've been enjoying those uh, <laughs> classic Doctor Whos recently. Jesus. Um, not great acting, but I like the stories. Uh, so, anyway. Um, and and uh, Europa is about 400,000 miles from the surface of, um, of Jupiter. I think it's the sixth moon out, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, it's, it, it's pretty close, right? You're, uh, Jupiter's fucking enormous. And... Um, Another reason why, you know, if, if, if you orbited, the electronics would be fried within, like, a few months. So, gotta get, yeah, away from all that radiation. So, first thing, what's mostly not a mystery and what makes Europa, like, really, really interesting is the almost certain presence of a truly massive worldwide ocean beneath that icy crust of Europa. Um... And the first thing that the Europa Clip mission will do is to verify, you know, absolutely that that subsurface ocean exists. We were almost entirely sure, but they're just going to make sure it exists in the way we under we think we understand mm, it. It's over there. So the the scientific consensus is that there's a a solid ice crust about ten to fifteen miles thick. Um, there's a little bit of controversy oh. about exactly how thick it is, but it's very thick. The, the people think it's very thick. Some people think it's thin. Most people think it's thick. There's sort of thinners yeah. and thickers. Yeah. Um, and thickers sort of have the, the, I think, the evidence on their side. Europa be thick. <laughs> yes, Europa be thick. Um, <laughs> under that uh, thick ice crust um, is a worldwide ocean somewhere between 40 and 100 miles deep. How do we know? Um, we know that mostly from the... Um, effect that that uh, that that the water the the saline water has on the it's saline water. We, that's what we we think that it's it's like Earth's oceans water. It's 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 very salty, and it basically it's motion and the motion of the the core and everything creates this magnetic effect that we can see sort of pushing back on on the magnetic effect coming from Jupiter. Oh, so that can be measured. Yes, and and it's been measured several times by different crafts over the years. How does one even? You you insane? send out about a a van sized piece of junk yeah. with a bunch of antennas on it, and I don't know, technical, technical. It gets so technical. Um, but but what if it was fresh water? Do you think we'd try to like get it in a tank and bring it back? Well, people are talking about that on the moon for sure, and Mars. Whoa. Yeah. Um, 
So for for a sense of scale again, that that forty to one hundred mile deep worldwide ocean, like literally going over the whole, you know, in, inside sort of middle interior, is uh, contains about two to three times the volume of all Earth's oceans put together. Jesus. So which yeah. I can't. Which even that you can't even conceive, <laughs> right? Um, but weirdly, because of the lower gravity on Europa, because it's so much smaller, right, has has less mass. Um, the pressure at the bottom of that ocean would be about the same as the pressure at the bottom of Earth's ocean at the deepest part of the Mariana Trench. Which is what? Like... Well, ex- exceedingly high pressure, obviously. How many, like, pounds? I, I couldn't quote that, but... Um, what it's fundamentally different than it, it is is like one of the ice giants, right? Um, okay. You know, or or some other places in the solar system where it the 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 uh, the, the planet is so massive that water gets uh, into such high pressures that it gets into these really weird forms uh. where it takes on these weird properties, and you can get into a, a cool Wikipedia hole about it, which I've done. Look up like wa- water seven or whatever it is. What? It's crazy. They start giving them numbers. I don't get it. Normal water is like water three or something. I don't remember. I remember you explained this to me when I was like, why would you ever say ice water? <laughs> right. And then I got into, I got really into what is ice and what is water. Um, Jesus. So what the Europa Clipper mission is also going to do is use um, penetrating radar and um, to, to and, and so they're going to really see under the ice in a new way. And um, and they'll really be able to like verify some some facts, even like what's on the bottom of that uh, worldwide ocean, which which is pretty cool. Of course, they're going to take pictures, and hopefully, they're going to sample geysers. That there's geysers. There probably are geysers coming out. Some people think it could be directly from the subsurface ocean. Um, what seems maybe more likely is that there are these large subsurface lakes that are that are much con- closer to the surface, and that that's where the geysers might be coming from. Is that a lake under a under, uh, under the ice crust? Under right, subsurface crust. lakes, exactly. And we see these kind of things in um, Antarctica, and we think they're also like beneath the surface of of Mars as well. Um, and these geysers have been observed. People. Th- are pretty sure that that's what they've seen um, from the Hubble Space Telescope. And um, in a reanalysis of data from the Galileo spacecraft um, from back in the 90s. So they didn't think that they saw it in the Galileo data, but then reanalysis showed they may actually have seen it in those data. So the um, Europa Clipper is also going to confirm the presence of sodium chloride salt. And this is kind of what I was mentioning earlier, because um, a lot of people think there's salt like on the surface of Europa, which would indicate that you know, because there's this mixing probably going on, which I'll talk about, that there's probably salt in the oceans, too, um, which is a good sign for life, um, for habitability, um, because it, it would uh, sort of indicate that there's a mixing of chemicals and minerals throughout the European system in a not-too-dissimilar way from the way our oceans work, right? Which we know developed life. Where there's a, a you know, a sort of distillation of minerals from the crust... Uh, and there's heating coming up, right? So, so remember I mentioned there's three elements of life earlier: water, fuel, and heat. Um, the the chemicals and minerals are the fuel. Where are you going to get the heat from? Uh, geothermal heat, heat from the sun, heat from Jupiter. We'll talk about how exactly that works in this context. What? 
Yes, it's a little. It's, oh, because you said it's complex. Jupiter was like the radiation's part of it, but then there's another part too. Um, and then of of course water, uh, which is like the perfect solution for making these chemical thingies, amino acids, etc. Life. Um, <laughs> step one, this step three, life. Yeah. Um, so what all of the data from the nine instruments on the Europe Clipper mission on board will hopefully tell us is how habitable Europa truly is. In, in other words, are there creatures in that subsurface ocean or on the surface somewhere or something? There has to be, right? You, you would think, right? I mean, I, it just seems too unli- too likely to not be a thing. We just have to get there. Um, so l- let's explore a little bit how likely that is exactly and and what that life might look like. Um, so first, let's go over some reasons people think Europa is a possible place for life other than, you know, this huge liquid ocean, right? So the other two ingredients, like I mentioned, are fuel and energy. So the energy on Europa does come from its interaction with its sort of sun, right? Jupiter with all the radiation. But there's another more subtle uh, um, thing going on here called tidal flexing. Um, okay. So as Jupiter's mass, right, it's huge, huge mass, pulls gravitationally on Europa. Europa also pulls back slightly oh, on like Jupiter. Oh, Right, right, in, in, in the way that the moon and the Earth interact in, the, in that way, right? This is also happening, though, which makes it a little more complex, um, for, for Europa with um, two other of the big Galilean moons, Io and Ganymede, and they actually create a resonance of... Um, of orbits around Jupiter. So with, I forget exactly what it is. It's like every four times Europa orbits Jupiter, Ganymede does three times, and Io two times, or something like that. How many times, how long does it take? Um, it takes Europa, I think, about three and a half days to orbit Jupiter, I'm pretty sure. So does that mean they're... What does that mean? What that means... So that would feel like three and a half days to us, and that would be one day for... Mm-hmm. Europa. Yeah, okay. essentially. Um, but what, what, what the interactions with those other moons mean is that um, Europa's orbit, is, it's not perfectly circular. And it's, it's not exactly the same each time, each time it goes, goes around. So that creates this subtle fluctuation in the gravitational forces on Europa, mostly from Jupiter. And then that creates that flexing. And the flexing creates the heat. And that's what keeps, like its core molten and creates the, mm. you know, the, the sort of basis of energy that can actually create an ecosystem. So I know that was kind of boring and like laborious to get through, but like, that's the spark, you know, the spark of life, if you want to call it that, is that tidal flexing. That's so weird. Yeah, but you can't see it. It's gravity. It happens because space is curved by mass. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think. We don't need to get into that right That's now. That's a whole other mystery. So, but we, but we, we, we know pretty much that it does happen. So anyway, um, because of that resonance, Europa's order, orbit, like I said, slightly elliptical, and all those gravitational interactions cause that flexing, causing that heat and that motion within the European system that allows for a more active chemical exchange as well. So um, how that works, just like on Earth, it's the mixing of chemicals and minerals from the ocean floor with the saline ocean water 
that gives the sort of tiny, tiny creatures, right, the plankton, um, their nutrients. And then those microscopic organisms are eaten by slightly larger ones, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what we're hoping is happening? Right. That could be occurring there. It could be the basis of a, a food chain. Um, such a system could, yeah, could be, could be a play under there, um, under this sort of broken icy crust. And that's the part of Europe I haven't really talked about yet. The surface is very broken up. Um, and just why and, and how that icy crust is broken could kind of inform how the biosphere may work. Um, it, it, it partly because it indicates that the surface is relatively young and therefore active. So, the, again, it's, it's, it seems like an active system. Um, and while it's still kind of a mystery why this, the surface is so young and active, the... Um, um, there, there are these kind of ridges that that you can look at, um, called lini, and they're they're kind of like, or they could be. This is, I guess, part of what some people have as an explanation to that mystery. They're kind of like Earth's oceanic ridges, exposing areas of heat beneath the surface that have caused the ice to break apart. I didn't even know... They could be those, like, lakes that I was mentioning earlier. I didn't even know that was a thing that happened on Earth... Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the, at the bottom of the ocean, you know, I don't know if you've seen the nature videos or whatever, where the sur the the ocean floor is just like coming apart and there's just like yeah. lava coming up. That's what I mean. Oh. Like those kind of like ocean ridges, but like on the surface of of the planet instead. Um, it's kind of upside down, which is weird. Um, there's also evidence of subduction, so like areas going beneath other areas um, between these lini, which is reminiscent of like plate tectonics tectonics on earth um so there, there may are be there that Europa kind of mixing quakes? um i'm sure pro there probably are um, but or i don't know that's a good question Hi. i don't know if there would be actually because the way that it's sort of set up it's kind of this like three-tiered system there's like the the icy crust right which is sort of semi-solid and then the liquid ocean like covering the whole middle and then the the molten um well the I guess, partly molten core. So there, you couldn't have waves going through that whole system, right? Because the water would break it up. I or maybe, or would guess. it? I don't know. That's a really good question. <laughs> I actually have no idea. Maybe scientists don't either. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> wow. It's another mystery. Oh, my God. Um, so, right. And so at the bottom of that ocean, though, because of all of this, right because it works kind of like Earth, you could have hydrothermal vents. That's what people think. What does that mean? Hydrothermal vents are, like, those big, like, s stacks of uh, Earth that, that you've seen with just, like, superheated water boiling out of them. And then you'll see, like, a herd of shrimp, like, right next to it. Um, because I've never... What? If you watch nature documentaries as much as I do... freak me out. <laughs> but it's a thing. No, that's, that's okay. But like it, it's it. sort of exactly what it sounds like. It's it's like the, the heat from within the like earth coming out. Is it like a geyser? Out. It's sort of like a geyser, but within the ocean. Like going out into the ocean. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Okay. So, um, these on Europa could be releasing the tidal flexing heat that I talked about earlier. Um, releasing, you know, these volatile chemicals and everything, and perhaps sparking life, as it may well have done here on Earth, is what a lot of people think, you know. Excuse me. So these could be kind of oases of life, right, at which the food chain that we discussed yeah. earlier would sort of concentrate and grow from. 
um, chemicals may also seep down, right, from above when Europa is impacted by comets. Um, so that's another kind of, like, mixing that could happen. Oh, so, so there's, like, a lot of chances, it seems, for... I think so. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but it seems, <laughs> again, it seems pretty likely to me. <laughs> Okay, let me find my place here. Okay, so now that we've established, right, at least according to both of us, that, you know, life probably exists here. I mean, shit. Let's say it's 100%. Why not? I have no idea. Reckless speculation. But what would it actually look like, right? That's another interesting mystery. So most of my sources seemed fairly circumspect about this. My sources were not, by the way, um, making the bold claims that we are about the fact that there's almost certainly life on Europa. I think we're just getting really excited about that I think we are, too. (laughs) They were, like, you know, academics and stuff who were, like, doing studies. So just to be clear... And, just to separate. And, right, yeah. but when they did sort of venture into, okay, well, what would it look like if it were there, um, they suggested it's probably microbes. Now, that makes sense. Because, so it's not going to be like a thing that looks like a dog. Or maybe it could be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this makes sense, right? Microscopic life, it's it's the most abundant life on Earth. Yes. It's the most, the most ancient. Obviously, life would start at a small scale, not at a large scale. Like, Why not? For many reasons, I'm sure. Um, so, to ask an astrobiologist. Um, so, some studies suggest that um, it um, may not even take us that far into the European surface to find this kind of microscopic life. Based on radiation studies and things like that, we, we may be able to find it even just a few inches or a foot below the surface. Oh, okay. So, at least that kind of life, right? Which would not be as exciting, but still, it would be life. But what if there isn't life there, but there's life deep, deep, deep? Like, is that another question? Yes, and people have been definitely thinking about that and developing different projects to do it. Now, remember at the beginning of the story when you weren't as excited about the prospect of life in Europa, but more worried about how humans mess everything up when they go everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. People are concerned. As um, they should be. Because the thing is, if you want to get down below that icy crust, you, it's going to have to be like a nuclear reactor. You're going to have to send essentially a mini nuclear reactor to burrow through. Because that's the only possible way you could do it, right? How else would you do it? You just, there's no other possible way. The thing is, when you're introducing this radioactive element to the the to to the to the system, right? Knows what's going to happen? Also, you may be developing a fissure down into the subsurface ocean, which never would have existed otherwise, ah! taking all this radiation from outside in. So people are thinking about it, and and I hope they'll do it and do it responsibly. Um, sometime probably in the 2040s, if at, at the earliest. So anyway, um, di- but uh, you know, I think I certainly think down there there could be may- maybe much more than microbes, right? Um, <laughs> maybe there could be yeah, some sort of amorphous blob-like creatures. I don't know, <laughs> um, because you know, again, um, that's what's tended to happen in our on our planet. I have only one reference point, so that's all I can look to. Guys, right? draw us pictures of aliens you think would be on Europa. Oh, that'd be cool. Go. <laughs> um, but maybe there would be sort of like arthropod like you know sort of bottom dwellers like feeding on those like fallen microbes i could see that kind of being a thing and that's 
you know, that kind of thing, it's, it's like, um, very common on earth, like these, um, sort of segmented invertebrate creatures that according to Wikipedia, um, quote, um, (laughs) account for quote, more than 80% of all described living animal species, close quote. So it just seems like, again, likely. So these are things like spiders, crustaceans, you know, crabs, shrimp, insects, and these things called trilobites, which are really cool. Um, they thrived in Earth. I know, right? <laughs> for, uh, from between about 500 to 250 million years ago. And they, they sort of look, you know, they're like these hard segments and it sort of looks Are like they a... wormy? No, it sort of more looks like a, like a beetle. They're Ew! very hard with their outer shells. <laughs> um, but they're invertebrates. Um, so again, this kind of life, it's abundant, it's ancient. If, if there is complex life on Europa, maybe this is what it perhaps may look like if it is there at all. So we're not going to see like a little green man <laughs> with <laughs> antennas. I mean, what if we get down there and it's just like cities, you know, the fuck? that'd be crazy. No, right? that's scary. So hope- exterminate <laughs> <laughs> right? the Daleks who knew the Daleks live on Europa. Um, so hopefully we'll get a lot more data about this when Europa Clipper does get there. Um, whenever it does arrive, and even more when that planned lander comes in in the next coming decades. And that's how it always is with space, you know. Oh, yeah, let's do this. Okay, it'll get there in eight years. (laughs) Now we wait. (laughs) I mean, yeah. (laughs) And do interesting stuff on the way sometimes. When are we going to have our episode about time? (laughs) I don't think we should ever get that deep. There's so many This this is not a philosophical podcast but we're not is. philosophers what we did two episodes on what is reality that's true <laughs> i like talking philosophical you know that my sources were wikipedia the europa moon page uh nicola davis at the guardian uh david freeman at nbc news uh john wens at popular science eric kneeler at wired gareth dorian at the conversation um an wow. uncredited at uh, the Texas Geosciences UT at Austin page nasa.gov Texas. um great n- nasa.gov is a great place to go they have great um uh content and pictures and things you can play with um wow. the europa page on their solar system exploration was where i was looking and elizabeth howell at space.com and then of course the planetary society podcasts that i had previously listened to so yeah Yes, um, and Chloe, do you have any um, weird shit in, in the, the news? news? Weird, weird shit, shit in, in the, the news. news. I do not have weird shit in the news, but I do have an update on one of our oh, previous that's right. mysteries. That's right. We did an episode about Zion Cemetery, which is a, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Hidden cemetery, secret cemetery in Tampa Bay. A subsumed cemetery. Where it is, a, it is in. It is a cemetery that was um, uh, that buried African Americans. Right. And it was. We discovered that it was indeed plowed over, and there is a. Um, I think it's called like Robles Park or like Tiny yeah. or something like it's that. It's apartments. It's apartments that are yeah. on top of. A cemetery. There are bodies down there, and, and they confirmed we talked it with the about radar, it. Right, yeah. And um, at at that point, they were they were about to go do radar, and then they did it, and right. it, their theories were confirmed, which is very sad. Yeah. Um, but 
um, the people who own the apartment complex and the land are um, being cooperative and they want to figure out what's going on and they want to work with the NAACP and they want to, like, you yeah. know, set this right, make it a memorial. And I was thinking about that and I was like, wow, it could be so much worse. It could be just be like, but this is my land. Like, this is where I make my money. Like, that's... I just, I, I love that. Well, That's you, the bright side. I you would think. hope at least at this point in history that there would be enough societal pressure to, to sort of force people. I don't know. But Mario, I don't... You know, at least in some I places. I don't know. I'm being quixotic. <laughs> um, my weird shit in the news, uh, it's a papal weird shit in the news. Papal? Like um, the Pope? Like the Pope, exactly. The Pope uh, was freed by firefighters after being stuck in a Vatican lift. Um, according to uh, BBC.com here. Um, so apparently um, Mr. Pope was uh, stuck in the uh, elevator for about 25 minutes. He was very good-natured about it. Aww. As you would imagine, right? The if, the, if the Pope got pissed off about being stuck in an elevator for 25 minutes, you'd be like, mm, should this guy really be the Pope? Um, so he, he said when he finally got there, he was on his way to say Mass, I have to apologize for being late. So he made a little made a little joke, which is how you're supposed to begin a speech, right? So that's yes. good. Um, and uh, you know he. Um, I don't usually laugh when I go to mass. <laughs> I know, right? He he thanked the firefighters. Also a good political move. And yeah, yeah. Um, you know he uh, went went on with his papal day um, in his sacerdotal attire. His papal day. Yeah, this is my papal day. Um, Thanks for listening, you guys. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> um, follow us on all the social medias: Instagram, right. Facebook, Twitter. And I think we're we're just gonna keep doing the the episodes at this time. This will be our new time. Wednesday night. I think it's been our Wednesday time. Morning. It we, we'll just uh, now we're saying it. We're just saying it. We're saying it. <laughs> okay. Ow, wow, wow. Uh, Mario text thirty. Um, we'll just use Instagram. Uh, I already sent you my picture. Bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.